0: The Trump administration has its definition of close family, how do our teachers define who their students' close family are? New research shows smartphones are distracting even when we're not using them. Okay, that's totally depressing, but does it mean schools should ban smartphones? Finally, gender identity issues are becoming ever more important. Is it the teacher's job to be an advocate for her gender nonconforming students in such a charged political environment? Our teachers weigh in. Those topics, plus a summertime edition of Teachers These Days on this edition of the No Wrong Answers Podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned public radio journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk. So let's introduce them. Luann Fox, what do you teach? High school English. Maddie Burkemper, what do you teach?
1: I will be teaching fifth grade.
0: Coming in, you were teaching fourth grade last year, and you're moving up with your students.
1: I'm moving up.
0: And Bakari Ukuu, what do you teach?
2: Newly promoted vice principal of middle school.
0: And Bakari, our listeners Mm -hmm. may recognize your voice. Do you want to explain?
2: Yeah, so recently changed my name to Bakari Ukuu. You may know me originally as Princeton Grayson. Um, In essence, I just wanted. to connect my excellence to my ancestry. So Bakari does
0: that for me. And it is a legal change. You it is legal. Every so.
2: document, I'm, a, I'm a, waiting on my
0: passport to come back. So, Well, Bakari, welcome. Thank you. Uh, all three of them are public school teachers or uh, now administrators in the Kansas City metro area. So let's get to it. Let's start with some news. As of the taping of this episode, the Trump administration is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn a federal court's ruling that weakens Trump's so-called travel ban A federal judge in Hawaii ruled the ban's definition of close family was too narrow. Remember, the ban went into effect earlier this summer in a limited way, with the Trump administration laying out restrictions to entry for travelers from six Muslim-majority countries. Only so-called close family members of people already in the U.S. from those six countries could be eligible for entry. The administration's definition of close family is what drew many people's attention Originally, close family was defined as parents, parents parents-in-law, spouses, children, adult sons or daughters, sons-in-law, daughters-in-law, siblings, half-siblings, and uh, siblings that had a step relationship. Notably, it did not include grandparents or aunts or uncles or cousins. The federal judge's recent ruling expands the travel ban to include those familial relationships, and that is what the Trump administration, at least at the time of this recording, is asking the Supreme Court to overturn. Bear in mind as well, the Supreme Court is set to hear the case or the the legality of the travel ban itself later this fall. Well, Needless to say, this whole close family kerfuffle has bothered many of the administration's critics. Some of them say, who is Donald Trump to define what my close family is, the news website Courts quoted a Syrian-American woman in New York City who had been planning her wedding in America later this summer, and she had invited her extended family from overseas. Since the ban has gone into effect before this latest federal ruling, that woman had postponed her wedding. Then there was the banned grandma's Instagram account created after the travel ban took effect, curated reportedly by an Iranian-American woman. It posted pictures of grandmothers in other countries barred from entry into the U.S., So we talk about the news and how it intersects with education issues and teachers' experiences. This story reminds me, arguably, there are few professionals in this country who have as much insight and experience dealing with families, their dynamics and relationships more than teachers do. So I wanted to ask you all, not so much about the travel ban itself, but more about this idea of close family and your experience. What has constituted close family for the students you've taught? Bakari. Close family is really
2: based on the relationships. I mean, particularly in the black community, we... Are quick to give association or give familial titles to people who we have a a respect for or a closeness to. I think a perfect example is that in the Black community, we refer to uh, Representative Maxine Waters as Auntie Maxine because we feel uh, a respect um, and an adulation for her and the the work that she does in Congress. I mean, as growing up, I've had cousins who were not blood related to me, but because we were so close and we hung out so much, um, I see that with my students. And so I think it's all about the relationship itself. when I'm actually engaging with parents and families, I find that from like a parent teacher conference standpoint, oftentimes you would see their grandparents come with their parents uh, or come with their, their children and their children's children. And so I think they definitely show an interest. Um, when I personally think about families, close families, I often go to like the immediate families, the brothers and sisters, and sometimes grandparents. But for my students, I would definitely say grandparents have always been a significant presence in our relationship. Uh,
0: Luann and Maddie, I guess, what types of family representatives do you communicate with or have communicated with?
3: And I I do see a fair number of grandparents as well, um, not. That's that. That's not a majority, um, but some of the things that are interesting sometimes is you'll see more adults than maybe you bargain for that you know there are enough chairs for when you've got um, divorced parents and they've both remarried and all four of them are there because they're all four interested in in this one child and so you're giving the same information to to all of them.
1: I was pretty shocked that cousins don't constitute as close family when yeah, I read Originally,
0: about. at least, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I can't. I communicate with my own cousins, like, on the daily. Um, There are a couple of students who will introduce kids from, like, all the different grade level. Like, they'll, like, meet all my cousins, and it's, like, 20 kids from our school. Or, like, someone's cousin uh, had a new baby sibling, and it was, like, the new screen, like, cell phone background for, like, the next two or three months. Someone had a locket one time with a picture of their baby cousin on it, um, and I found out that it's, like, someone who lives down the street, I think it's really legitimate. Like, they go to each other's birthday parties. They come over for Christmas and holidays. Um, they're there for each other when things get difficult. I think it's normal and appropriate to define those people who are there for you as your family. So you I, know?
0: that that may lead into what my next question was going to be, which is, I guess, having been teachers, what have you learned about what it means to be close family, at least for your students and the students you teach?
1: It's like who's got your back. It's who's got it's who's got your back. It's who you, like, spend those moments with. Um who you have that intimate relationship with and I don't it's not necessarily defined by who your blood relatives are like if you are or are not related by blood.
2: I think one thing that I, I learned that I was not really anticipating in my experience um, as an educator is that families like who we think are normally like the linchpins of families are not always that person and so like when I when I say that I mean like You think, oh, if I call mom, then mom is going to be the one that gets this kid to better understand or, like, to get them in line. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it's when I call sister. Sometimes it's when I call older brother um, or when I call one of the cousins who may not be blood-related but have that impact. And so I think oftentimes as a society we tend to associate certain types of impact with um, certain roles in kids' lives. And I don't think that as, like, a mom or dad, and it's not always mom or dad who gets the job done from my standpoint – um, when I'm calling for educational
0: purposes, and you're trying to see a, a change in behavior, right, <laughs> or even yeah. just
2: like, um, uh, well, yeah, oftentimes there's a change <laughs> in behavior. So, mm-hmm. but resonates. I think it's, I think there's, there's other moments that there are other moments where I want to like give recognition, like who's going to be able to celebrate the kid in ways that they value, and um, who's going to be able to calm a kid down and that sort of thing. And so I think, or who's going to be able to show up to, to be at the school for the kid. So I think, as a society, we often assume like that's only um, relegated to certain roles. And I think what I have learned is that
0: there's not always a blood relation. There's not always a title given to those people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interesting stuff. Our podcast today is sponsored by Teach for America Kansas City, which believes one day all children will have the opportunity to attain an excellent education. You can make an impact on that mission in Kansas City. To find out how, visit teachforamerica.org or find them on Twitter at TFA underscore KC and on Instagram at TFA KC. This next segment will take on some of the latest scientific research out there and how it affects the classroom. This is a good one. Researchers at the University of Texas in Austin concluded a new study that smartphones are distracting even when their users are not actively using them. The researchers write, quote, "...the mere presence of these devices reduces available cognitive capacity." This is what the researchers did. They took more than 500 undergraduates and gave them some cognitive tasks to do. They randomly assigned these undergrads to three groups. One group that was told they could keep their phones with them but had to turn them face down on a desk next to them. One group that was told to stow their phones away in a backpack or pocket out of sight. And one group told to keep their phones in a completely separate room from where they were performing the tasks. All three groups had to turn their phones to off or silent and teachers, guess which group performed the best at the cognitive tasks?
3: The ones with no, no phones. <laughs> no
0: phones at all. With a little surprise in their voices, they said. Yeah, not a surprise to teachers. Still maybe a bit dispiriting, right? That even the mere presence of a phone can be distracting? Shoulder shrugs? Yeah, you guys yes. have been fighting a long, hard battle There's against something. cell phones. <laughs> Uh, if you strictly limit your students' use of smartphones in class, and they don't have them out, they are probably still thinking about them as they sit in their pockets or backpacks, even as you try to have them complete algebra problems or read J.D. Salinger. The researchers, rather cleverly, I think, <laughs> oh, you like that okay. well, The researchers, rather cleverly, I think, term this the smartphone brain drain. Now, this study is not specifically linked to education per se, but the authors did offer some insights into how brain drain can be combated. They say that the visibility of a phone's screen or whether it's sound is off or on seems to impact cognitive function. So turning the phone face down, silencing the phone may help concentration. However, the researchers say more bang for your cognitive buck may come from literal separation from your phone, what they call quote, defined and protected periods of separation. That is a space and time that has been clearly defined as free from smartphones. So this is all very interesting from a scientific perspective, but from a teacher's perspective is having defined and protected periods of separation for students and their smartphones in class. Is that a good thing? And is that practical? Yes and yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As a middle
2: school educator, yes, it is. Um... I just firmly believe that that students should be able to disconnect. I think that I would take it so far as even being a physical separation, whether that's having them in their lockers or having it like in a bucket that everyone has to turn in at the beginning of the uh, class period. But I just I firmly believe that there are other ways to leverage technology in the classroom that are more productive than using cell phones. Yeah, Luann,
3: I still think that there should be a class that is that's taught that's uh, that's. Uh, a standardized kind of class that has a curriculum that that I know the technology itself will change, but maybe the way that we the way that we are with technology when we're trying to have academic pursuits and civilized discussion. That needs to be something that we directly teach to, to students so that um, they can help to manage that. Because uh, the phones are, are not going to be going away. They're going to have them all through their lives or whatever the next iteration of the technology is going to be. But how do you handle yourself and show respect so, and do all those so things? So
0: when you say class, you're actually saying almost like a vocational-type class where kids are taught how to use their smartphones productively. Yeah, it's
3: kind of like that. I mean, like when kids go to college, that's here intro to college class, and you've got to take that to get to the next level. Or when you're going to graduate school, there's an intro to graduate school kind of class. Uh, here's an intro to how how you do this um, and and monitor yourself, and maybe um, que- questions about. Ugh, who you are in relation to the technology. We talked about that a little bit before because some students don't have as much of a problem as other students do.
0: Our phones ourselves. Ask me the name of that. <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, that would be interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, it kind
2: of makes me think of, like, digital literacy. Like, it's part of many computer courses, like, for particularly elementary and middle school, like introduction to computers and such is often this internet and uh, literacy and digital literacy piece. Digital and cita- citizenship. Uh, citizenship. There it oh, is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I can see that being a component of that, but I feel like I just don't see cell phones as a as a use, as a significant tool for educational purposes. There are There are more... Um, effective and better suited um, tools and, and technology, computers, um, iPads and those sort of things that are more, to me, would be better suited for what we're anticipating using our cell phones for in the class. Do you agree
0: with the, the proposition, at least partly contained in uh, Luann's idea of a class that students need to be taught how to... Um, how to effectively use and also turn off their use of the cell phones, both in school and in life. I agree agree to the
2: extent in which I'm all for, like, personal and social development. I think that's who we are as a society now that definitely requires, that is part of the social development that we need to talk about. So to that end, yes. I don't think that class should be like a technical class. on Here's how, like, use a cell phone. Like, kids are born with cell phones in their hands, essentially, Mm -hmm. especially in this day. day. I mean, they're digital natives. Digital natives, yeah. And so, like... Um, I don't think it needs to be a, like a technical course, but I definitely think along the social, emotional and uh, development, personal development, that that could be uh, something in in that course. Maddie,
0: throughout this conversation, you've had a beatific look of tranquility on your face.
1: That's because I teach <laughs> fifth grade guys. Mm-hmm. So, well, they, they keep um, their phones in their backpacks. It's not m- a big deal. NBD, not a big deal. <laughs>
0: uh-uh. So when you tell a kid, put your phone away, you don't even have to say that. no they listen
1: yeah and like i can think of instances why it would be important for them to have their phone like one time a bus broke down on the way home and so like they needed to you know um i'm not i'm not anti them having cell phones in their backpacks and i um sometimes even leverage cell phones as like a behavior reward like after so many Mm -hmm. oh yeah you know then it we have um a we call it a technology party and you can bring a laptop or a tablet in with a parent permission slip that says that you get to use it for like 15, 15, 20 minutes a day or whatever um, as a behavior incentive. And they love that. Um, and we have one-to-one Chromebooks in my school too. I think for everyone down to second, it starts in second grade and then kindergarten and first grade have tablets. So,
0: so this raises an, that raises an interesting point, right? So one of the big things about I guess the argument for having cell phones, smartphones in school is, oh, it's, you know, kids need it for class. Kids, you know, need it to be engaged and, you know, can look up words and can look up things and can, um, you know, even nowadays, you know, write responses or do surveys in class that can be sent to the teacher via some sort of app. But if you have one-to-one technology, if you have Chromebooks,
1: does that negate
0: the need for a smartphone? Does that make your case as an educator easier to say like, hey, we don't need smartphones, we have Chromebooks? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think, Cell phones, like if we were to write a cell phone on a um, like Bloom's taxonomy mm-hmm. rigor scale of thinking, um, it would be like a recall machine. The lowest. Yeah, the lowest. The, lowest. the, the, the,
0: the, the entry level well, of Bloom's.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like you put input in and it, you know, the most that I would really use it for would be for like a quick Google search or like a quick word look up, which could be done by like an encyclopedia or by a dictionary what are those yeah i keep well i keep those on every single desk has a set of a thesaurus a dictionary and an encyclopedia and kids are allowed to look up that information which is great but like that's a sent. i mean the cell phone has those same capabilities so i could put the cell phone in the bucket and they i think that the difference is that Primarily, cell phones are used more of like a person, an interpersonal communication tool via mm-hmm. Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram. I know I cannot focus with the Instagram um, app on my phone. I had to delete it off like two weeks ago because I couldn't, when it was sitting right next to me, I couldn't get through a book.
0: Yeah, getting back to Luann's theoretical idea of a cell phone course, you know, where you teach kids not only how to use a cell phone, but also how to. Um, kind of have technology in their lives. Maddie, your comments about, like, oh, I deleted the Instagram app from my phone because I know, for me, that's distracting. Like, It seems to me kids need to be taught those kinds of self-regulating behaviors. And th- are they being taught that? And if not, like, how do you do that?
1: I think that, I mean, mostly when you talk about taking cell phones out of classrooms, that's going to require, a like, a behavior um, shift. A behavior shift or a management shift, and I think any successful behavior management shift needs to come with that transparency and really letting the kids know the what and the why of of what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to have no buy in, and then you are going to become that draconian school where they're like, no cell phones, and like they're a little. The kids get all upset and have an uprising. It's like you. Car school.
0: Yeah.
1: You, <laughs> you, <know,
0: laughs>
1: you have to let the kids know why it is that you're doing something. So I think. The no cell phones in the classroom, especially if you have another tool for technology, is the right move. You need, I really think you need to let students know why that is and talk about the ability to engage in deep thought. I, I agree. I think,
2: like, I think. too often when we hear no cell phones. We think no technology, and I, and that is just not the case in today's society. I mean, again, my school's one on one, so they can be very well, productive and have access to technology. They will have technology in their hands what at if their they disposal. Didn't, though,
1: would you let them have a cell phone if you had no Chromebook? Uh, <laughs> so
2: it's like it's less <laughs> yeah. about. So I think I think it's it's. I would be more inclined I would be more inclined to leverage it more frequently but again I think it's a tool for a certain type of ish, uh, for a certain time period for a certain problem for a certain moment. It is not a computer. It, as much as we want to believe that it is and it has far more well, capabilities than before yeah. but it's not a
0: computer. Luann.
3: Um, I teach in a school district and I know other people who do as well who will just uh it's are just not going to go away there's just there's no way that they will take cell the phones away doing, yeah. or oh there's no way that that's going to yeah especially since school shootings have been basically since columbine to be honest and then like on the rise you know since then it's just cell so phones that, that's an, will allu- that's an not. allusion
0: to the fact that i mean the argument since columbine has been Kids need cell phones so for that safety. Yep. for safety I mean, reasons, and that I, can.
3: I know some school districts are not like that, but I'm saying I work in a school district that's going to. This is never going to be an issue where they're going to take cell phones away. They acknowledge cell phones will stay. They're not going to take that away from students. So then it becomes how do we teach the students to use yeah. that in a way that is going to be advantageous, right, to their learning and that kind of thing. So um, one of the things that we can do, but it also is a double-edged sword, is like you know keep them in, as engaged as possible. Because kids don't know how to concentrate. And if you give them a minute of downtime, and rather than, like, think, because it, like, takes more brain cells, it's easier to, like, look at the phone. And so if, you're, if you've got your back to them, if there's downtime for them, to, so you don't give them downtime. You're just engaging, engaging. And then they'll tell you later, well, I'm exhausted because I was, like, engaged all the time and we didn't really have any time to think. But then you know when you do that, um, you're going to have to fight the cell phone issue. So it really is a, is a complex not- battle.
2: When I hear, like, no cell phones, like, because of these, like, communication pieces, the interpersonal piece, like, like I agree with that. When I say no cell phones, I'm saying cell phones are not the most effective for instructional use. So when we talk about having, like, this defined and protected period, that's during my instructional time. You're not using your cell phone. Now, at lunch and, and in other moments... Sure. I'm not saying you cannot walk into this building with a cell phone. I'm Mm -hmm. saying it is not Mm -hmm. used for instructional purposes Mm -hmm. because too often it becomes a can of worms that is opened and now you have kids texting and on Snapchat instead of on their Kahoot or instead of on Mm -hmm. their assignment.
3: But there's a point to be made at which, um, just hear me out here for a second, Mm -hmm. if um, I'm going to talk about a word and a kid doesn't know the word, okay, so... Without a phone, the kid's going to think, well, she's going to tell us what the word means because that's the teacher's job and she's going to do it. So we're not really going to listen because we're really not that engaged because we got passive and we got it, we got it passively, right? Or she makes an illusion. We don't know what that illusion is. Hey, teacher, can you explain the illusion? Um, because it takes too long to go to the dictionaries that we now don't have in our rooms anymore to go down to the hall, go down to the library. You know, you can't do that. Can you look it up? Easily, yes. And when you do that, kid, you might learn it better and retain it more because you looked it up.
0: I just remember at a high school that I taught at in California, we went to one to one the the year after I started teaching there. And so we did this whole summer of trainings, got mm-hmm. ready, we're really excited. Kids got assigned their Chromebooks. They were all, you know, really excited and we thought this is gonna change our curriculum. <laughs> Kids get the Chromebooks within the first three minutes we're in our class, we're getting set up email. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, within three email, minutes. Yeah. Little, 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 little. Uh, you know the, the icon sound of of kids g <laughs> chatting each other. It took them, you know, and they, I'm sure they already knew it. It took them less than less I than mean, you know. I mean, a now that's to the point to around like
2: teachers also have to be trained right. on how to leverage the technology. So we talk about like access being like a social justice piece. There's that layer of implementation. That's where equality actually comes in. That's where justice happens. Is when we're doing it effectively. And so I think in order to leverage any type of technology, whether that's computers, laptops, or cell phones, there has to be some training
0: done as well. Well, I'll leave us with this one final statistic. I could not go through this segment without saying this. Chicago-based market research firm, D-Scout, says Americans, on average, tap, click, or swipe their smartphones more than 2,000 times per day.
1: That's not surprising. <laughs> no, it's not surprising
0: no. at all, I don't think, but 2,000 times to see that number on it. Uh not even yeah.
1: Including laptop usage. Yeah. Think about that. <laughs> how many keystrokes a day do you do All while right. you're texting?
0: All right. Well, cell <laughs> phones, as Luann says, they're here to stay. So we got to figure out how to teach kids how to use them. Well, let's switch gears and our final segment talk best practices a bit. A new commentary in Education Week argues teachers must get better and soon at talking about and addressing issues of gender identity. It was Ed Week's most read story of the past week leading up to this taping. In it, New York psychiatrist Laura erickson Schroth outlines what she calls five common myths about transgender and gender nonconforming students. For example, um, it's rude to ask how you should address a transgender student or transgender students are out to trick other people, or laws support transgender students so teachers don't necessarily need to feel compelled to. Those are some of the myths she runs over. Now, we've talked on past episodes of this program about the evolving challenge of teaching transgender students, not because those students themselves are challenging, but because other students often have misperceptions and unsympathetic attitudes towards those students, and teachers and administrators as well have trouble even doing the most basic of things when teaching, that is, talking to students Uh, So, playing into this as well as a very fluid and often uncertain political situation for teachers, for instance, the Trump administration rescinded Obama-era guidelines that encouraged students to allow transgender students to use the bathrooms of their gender identity. Eight students currently have state or local laws that either prohibit or limit teachers from talking about LGBT issues in public schools. And even if there are no statutes, high-profile news stories like the fight over North Carolina's so-called bathroom bill have, for many educators, created a climate of anxiety over bringing up these issues in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. That's all to say, Laura erickson Schroth tries to give teachers a tool here dispelling what she calls myths about transgender students, and I would encourage uh, anyone who's listening to go and read those myths. It may help you become a better teacher and communicator. But to the teachers here today, I just wanted to ask, based on that introduction— Do you see it as your job to address or teach about gender identity? Is it your job to do that?
3: I think it's, number one, our job to absolutely model humanity and acceptance. Um, I think that we—I mean— I was a troubled kid in high school myself, not at all about this issue, but I had another issue and uh, my drama teacher at one point saved my life. She did not understand um, that I had an eating disorder or what that even entailed, but she understood that I needed love and she understood that I needed acceptance and so she practiced it in a way that made a connection to me and so, um, and then she evolved in her own understanding. And I think if, if we at least just start there, like I may not understand everything that um, a student goes through, but I can like get get to your humanity, and I can try to model acceptance so that when other students look to me, they could say, well, this is what the teacher did, so maybe I better follow suit.
2: I would agree, and I would say that it is our jobs to teach around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and to me, this is another layer of that. Mm -hmm. Um... I think that I will be doing a disservice if I try to minimize or to um, relegate diversity, equity and inclusion to gender and race or to sex and race. And like Mm -hmm. thinking about like female, male gender roles. Um, And so I think that it is important that as we have those conversations across our curriculum, across moments um, with our students that. We come from a lens, as Luann said, of of being very humane and and, and recognizing the humanity in others. And we can't just continue to do what's like, we can't stop at those places where it's easy. Even when we're uncomfortable, we have to be willing to continue to push. At the same time, we have to prepare our teachers. We have a, I mean, teachers have a lot on their plates. And so this is the, In the same way we talk about race, privilege and oppression, that requires a lot of work on teachers to recognize their privilege, to recognize the way that their biases impact their classroom. And so when we talk about diversity, equity and inclusion, this is another layer that teachers will need to be. Um, provided the opportunity to really reflect and to gain a better understanding on before we say, go stand in front of these students and try to impart what it means to be inclusive when we don't even know what's stopping our own selves from being inclusive. And so, But I do think it is a conversation. I think it is our job to continue to teach about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and this is very much a layer of that.
0: Yeah, Maddie, what do you think?
1: Uh, It brings to mind the conversation from last week. Um, Like, is it your job to teach your students to be woke? And I think previous to even an hour or two ago, if you'd asked me, is it my job? I would have shied away from this particular issue. Yeah. From teaching about transgender um, and gender differences and diversity. I would have shied more towards, no, it's not my job. And I think it is because of that, that lightning rod aspect that the issue has and knowing that there are parents in my district who've been very vocal and I know that they aren't supportive of it. So the idea of bringing that into the classroom does give me anxiety. Um,
0: But yet at the same time.
1: But I think, I mean, after being here, um, I mean, I brought that up, and Bakari looked at me and was like, how do you decide, you know, what issues you bring or not? And, I mean, within, like, those 45 minutes, it made me reflect and be like, I can't – like, it's a lot of – it feels like a lot of pressure to be that gatekeeper and knowing that despite the pressure that I feel, like, it really – it's not as much my job to decide the what, I guess, and more my job to decide, to decide like, is this, going back to what Luann said, is this making my classroom more or less safe? Is it making my classroom more or less diverse and more or less inclusive? And being willing to, to take that stand for the students in my classroom who aren't strong enough to take the stand themselves. Like, I've only been teaching three years, so I haven't had any personal experiences working um, with a student who's transitioning or um, anyone who's not cisgendered, on the, that I know of within my classroom, but it's gonna happen. And if I'm not strong enough to stand up for that kid, there's no way that a nine or a 10 year old's gonna be strong enough to advocate for themselves to their peers. So, like, I have to be willing, like, I thought about the, um, a lot of teachers do inventories at the, on the first day of school. Um, like what's your favorite color, when's your birthday, to help form that relationship. And like that could be an appropriate place to ask what's your preferred pronoun um, and not shying away from that issue and really helping students feel safe and included and in, like I'm an adult that they can trust in the building. But, I mean, I guess this morning I would have been like, I don't know. And now <laughs> sitting here I'm like, it, like I can't. I, I, I think, think we. I need to teach my students to be woke so like I can't. So not, shy away from so it not, you so know? not
0: even being so it goes beyond just just even like being prepared to talk about talk about it, but actually like be proactively
1: you have to be an addressing advocate it yeah
2: i i when I'm hearing you speak I, I i feel like it's getting back to like this why why do we become educators to begin yeah. with and mm-hmm. and we can't pick and choose where we limit that why on because we are uncomfortable, and so yeah. I think. Now, the reasons why we ha- we experience that discomfort will be varying, but I think that at the end of the day that we know that our goal is to educate our kids to help create a better society for mm-hmm. tomorrow, and that means a more inclusive society. That means a more equitable society, a society that's willing to honor other people's differences. And I think that if we're not doing that on at every moment and every layer, which means being more proactive, mm-hmm. I mean, that means being an advocate. And in the same way that I would want a classroom full of white kids to learn about the black issues and to learn about Latino issues and other racial issues, I want a classroom full of um, heterosexual, cisgendered students to also know that there are classrooms that do not look like ours, that do not act like ours. And I think that is our responsibility as educators, if we really are buying into this notion that we can help change the future and really can prepare society that is more inclusive, that we have to do that regardless Mm -hmm. of our audience.
3: And and I would just like to say, I, I, I love having the conversation, and I like that we can do this. We're like trying to follow each other and we're trying to work on on it with each other. What I don't see, and I'm sure it's it's a time issue and I'm sure it's just the amount of bodies that are in school kind of issue, but I don't think if you ask most kids that they feel like it's safe to just sit there and just hang out and question. They're supposed to like pick a team, right? They're supposed to kind of play like, I get you, whatever you want to be, transgender is great or whatever, or I don't get this at all, but they're really, I don't know that we've created a space for like, I just have questions and I'll tell you, I know a lot of teachers, and they're educated, and and they're open and liberal. And they'll say to themselves, I have questions, but I don't feel like I can ask them because I feel like I'm supposed to kind of already know, and I don't. And we have a lot of people that are walking around like, I genuinely want to have these hard conversations, but I genuinely feel like there's not enough time, and we got to just say, go. But
2: to that I would say, because I hear the same thing when we talk about race issues, that uh, we don't have time for that, they need to learn this, they need to learn that, and I Mm -hmm. feel like if we are really talking about creating a better humanity then we have to prioritize humanity and that at the end of the day like multiplying is important but it's also important for them to be able to see each other as humans because when I think about like the Black Lives Matter movement I see that black black and brown men and women are getting shot down and we can just scroll through our newsfeed and keep it moving. Like We do that because we've been desensitized to the, the humanity of others. And mm-hmm. so when I think about having these conversations, it's all about creating that understanding that these these people are human as well, and they deserve the
0: same rights and responsibilities, the same affection and love that you want. Uh, well, I mean, the conversation might start with uh, yourself. I suggest you read Laura Erickson schroths Five Myths, uh, Common mm-hmm. Myths, about transgender and gender Nonconforming students. Uh, because if someone in this conversation earlier mentioned that it's um, it's hard to even uh, talk about or bring up unless you know yourself uh, first of all and know what you're comfortable with Mm -hmm. Uh, normally we end our episodes with a segment we call kids these days of course our teachers are still on summer break so they don't have kids right now so they don't know what's trending with their kids and nor do they want to Uh, (laughs) am i am i right Yeah. okay not yet Uh, not yet a couple weeks still uh so for now at least we're modifying kids these days to teachers these days that is what's trending with you your friends your family your group of of uh your circle your milieu if it were Uh, (laughs) what are teachers into these days Luann?
1: Oh, you're gonna oh, go. Oh, let, let let Maddie
3: go first because she's so excited. Okay, okay, I mean, I'm in there, but she's really excited.
0: Maddie, what are, what are you into these days?
3: Jane the Virgin.
2: The T V show.
1: It's so good. It's so, so good. Everyone should go out immediately and binge watch all three seasons like I did. I have not felt this intensity of a of like a fan wow. since the Backstreet Boys. But that's in so insane.
3: sad. <laughs> well, well, wow, so, we judge- you are <laughs> <laughs> talking we're about not it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not,
0: we're, not, we're not judging anybody's. Oh, <laughs> really? <Okay. laughs> so,
1: you know well, what? I'm going to advocate for myself in this Maddie. situation.
0: <laughs> so, Maddie, uh, <laughs> No, but Maddie, it's really why? good. Why?
1: It's just great. Everyone should go watch it. It's awesome. The communication between the characters is super good. I could talk about this.
3: <laughs> you could be their publicist. An hour. Yeah. So you should
1: probably cut me off. But yeah. it's so, yeah, it's, we'll, you got to we'll, stop.
0: We'll reach out to the CW and see if we can't get some. It, it's so good.
1: I, oh my gosh, I would. I would plug it. CW, find us. We
0: want to be clear you're not plugging it. Right. This is just oh, your okay. opinion.
3: I'm not plugging it. But I, so there's, there's I, no... <laughs> I one of the things that I will be into is I was just thinking about it. I've got a two camping days where I'm completely unplugged from everything. Oh, so and it gets, I, gets back
0: to our earlier conversation. I'm actually going guns. to
3: be roughing it. So um, and, and doing that and uh, experiencing all the wonder and joy of of that. Uh, you're going camping. Yes. Is
0: the, so so. Um,
3: Going camping with a group. Um, Is yeah. this something regular, normal? No, e- uh, no, no, no. Speak about Jane the Virgin. This would be. Oh, this would be. This would be that for me because I think the last time I was camping, my father was responsible for everything, oh, okay. and I was right. just I was very wee. It, so I'm. It's doing, been that long uh, since
0: you've been camping. Yeah, we'll see if you have another episode <laughs> <laughs> if you ever if you ever get back. Yeah, you're gonna be okay. awesome. It's gonna be great. All right, Bakari, <laughs> what are you into this summer? So
2: this summer, I told myself I was gonna do a lot of reading. Um, I did not quite make that goal, but I so I've been doing a lot of binge watching. But I put the captions <laughs> on, so in my mind oh, yeah. I'm still reading. Yeah. Um, oh wow! you, but, <laughs> you sound like <laughs> one of your students. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I did my homework, but I left it. No. Um, so I've been binge watching. Right now, I'm super excited because winter is coming. Ah, uh, winter is coming. Dun 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 <laughs> games dun 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 of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it's um, actually now it's like,
0: changed to winter is here.
2: Okay. Yes. Well, it's winter because this season winter. Yeah, winter is here. Are you for so real? I'm excited about that. We should say
0: we are taping on, on the, the day, day of the season that premiere. That winter Gable arrives. Thrives. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Well, that will do it for this episode of No Wrong Answers. We should say Teach for America, Kansas City, is the underwriter of this podcast, but No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control in what our teachers say and what shows they like are their personal <laughs> opinions, which may not reflect the official policies opinions, of the schools back, or so the shows their schools and districts <laughs> like. <laughs> Like us at Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just search for the No Wrong Answers Podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours, giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. Thanks to our teachers this week, Luann Fox, Maddie Burkemper, Bakari Ukuu. Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodapp, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. I'm Kyle Palmer, and remember, kids, be nice to your teachers.